Good morning. Um, Logue's already kind of gave my secret away, but uh, this uh, this message that I prepared this week, or the message that I have, is not the message that I thought I would have when I started out this week when I read uh, Colossians chapter two and decided to preach on it. Uh, my thoughts at the beginning of the week was I would rush the first. 10 verses and then get to what I thought I was going to preach. And um, I did that. And then so I went through um, the first 10 verses, got through with that on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, the Lord checked me and kind of arrested me and said, no, go back. And I have more here. So um, what I originally was going to preach was a a sermon called The Comfort of Christ. So if you want to hear that message, it'll be preached uh, Wednesday night. But this is The Foundation of Christ. And if you know anything about foundations or you ever built a building, they're, made, they're generally made out of concrete. That's kind of what this message felt like, preparing it. Um, it's, it's a hard message. It's a, not the one that I necessarily thought I would preach and not the one that I was like, you know, this is a fun one. You know, comfort of Christ, that sounds like a Tempur-Pedic. The foundation of Christ more sounds like a concrete slab or a, a bed of nails. But um, I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. And Paul says, For I want you to know what great a conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for for as many as I have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul has a great conflict, a great burden, a a, a cause, so to speak, uh, a reason for writing, a burden to the Colossian church. And although he has not seen them face to face, yet he writes to them, and that is why this word is applicable to us today, although we have never seen Paul, this word goes forth from generation to generation, uh, speaking word and speaking truth. He has a burden, he has a cause, and I want to uh, share that with y'all this morning. And this uh, passage of scripture, ironically enough, is um, where we get our youth group title. This is where we get our name, uh, Rooted Youth. So we'll, I'll share a bit about what um, our youth group is about what our goal is, but this is also ties so well into our mission statement as a church for us to uh, be planted, to water, and to harvest. Um, and it's it's ironic that it fits so well into the mission statement that Pastor Justin has put over the church, that we'd be a church that is established with one another, planted with one another. We water and care for one another, and ultimately the goal is to harvest uh, the county of Mercer County, Hazen, Zap, and Beulah, and to be a light to this world. So, um, in saying that, what is the burden that Paul is saying? In Colossians chapter 2, verse, verses 2 and 3, he says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining all riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the first thing, that there, that your hearts may be encouraged. It, a discouraged, a defeated, a lonely Christian is an easy target for the world, for the flesh, and for the devil. But Paul uses the word encouraged, and that in the Greek is parakalian, which I'm probably thoroughly butchering at the moment. But uh, it, may, it sometimes means to comfort or to exhort, but the backing of this word and the idea is of enabling a person to meet 
a difficult situation with confidence and bravery, and that's what I believe that we're doing whenever, every time we get up here, both with one another and remembering Ukraine and what's going on there, we must encourage and stand with one another, being knit together in love for one another. There must be a unity of the body of Christ. There must be a foundation of the body of Christ, uh, a lonely Christian, uh, a Christian that stands alone is weak, um, but we must be like an army. I think of the Romans. I think of, um, of the old wars when they would stand arm in arm, and, and they knew the soldier to the left and the soldier to the right, and they knew who had their back, and they knew that going into the battle, the only thing that was coming against them was in front of them. But a lonely Christian, a Christian that stands alone, is doomed from attacks from all angles. But if we are willing to stand with one another, arm in arm, being knit together in the unity of Christ and caring for one another. There's a certain amount of confidence that comes with knowing your fellow brother and sister in Christ, that knowing their struggles, knowing their hurts, knowing their pains, but ultimately knowing that they have your back, that they're here for you in the, in the dark times. Because paraclean, it means to have confidence in enabling a person to meet a difficult situation with confidence and bravery. We must encourage one another. We must be there for one another. We must encourage one another to grow in the faith. The call of the Christian is not to condemn one another, but to correct one another in love. To the call of the Christian brother and sister is to exhort one another and to bring one another, not not to gossip or to um, talk behind each other's back, but to have one another's back, to be with one another in Christ, supporting them and praying for them. We are called to encourage, not to discourage, called to be there, called to share a meal, called to break bread together, called to be with one another. We must be knit together. A sweater is made, I think of knitting, although I've never knitted in my life, but it's made of multiple uh, strings. It's made, but they're all knit together, all joined together. One piece of string does not make a sweater. Multiple bundles of string all knit together, all crossing over one another makes a good sweater. And the same is true with the body of Christ. That we get courage through community. We get courage through Prairie View Church of God. We, we get courage by meeting together, by being with one another. We cannot stand alone. We must encourage one another. And the third part is attaining all riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the knowledge of the mystery. That unity comes through love and understanding of the knowledge of God's truth. We must know the Word of God. I think of several youth groups and I mean, the students and small groups that I've, I've led, and you would think there's no way these kids hang out together outside of class. One's an athlete and one's a band kid, but they both know God and they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it, I've seen it break down walls and barriers and kids that usually wouldn't hang out together. They come together because they're both rooted in the knowledge and the knowledge of the truth of God. And the same is true with the Church of Christ. We're not called to meet together with those who just think like us and understand like those were called to reach across boundaries and lines, uh, generational lines, uh, um, uh, racial lines, and reach into one another's lives because ultimately God's truth is what breaks down all barriers and all walls and allows us to meet together as a family and a body of Christ. But we must be rooted in the truth of God. You see, ignorance leads to anxiety. But if we all meet together upon the basis of getting to know God more, we will grow in love 
for each other more. We will grow in Christ more. We can't love, we can't adequ- adequately serve one another. We can't ad- adequ- adequately love one another. We can't, we can't do, we can't serve, we can't love, we can't do anything that is of Christ without Christ apart from God because God is love and there, and God is the ultimate service. He came not to be served but to serve. He came not to be loved but to love. And we must take upon his example that he gave through the life of Jesus Christ, that we may have the full assurance of faith. How, and when he says full assurance, I think of like a full confidence, a full knowing of the truth of, of God, that many lack the assurance of God's character that is, many may have the question, is God truly loving? Is God truly good? I mean, look at the world today. Look at what's going on in Ukraine. Look at what's going on in our own government. Look at what's going on in the world. It seems in chaos. And yet God says, I'm sovereign and I'm in control of all things. I have all things in my hand. And yes, there's a prince and there's a power and there's a ruler of the air and darkness and the ruler of this air that has come to steal, kill, and, and destroy. And yet God is in full control and full allow, and all things are under him and all things that have gone on are allowed by him, not done by him, but allowed by him as a sovereign Lord overall. And others may lack the full assurance of their salvation. They wonder if their Christian life is, is for real. They have the questions of, am I saved? Can I be saved? Or is it even worth it? But there's a great freedom and there's a great confidence in knowing and having the full assurance of faith, knowing, knowing that we're saved, knowing who this Christ is, knowing the gospel being rooted and founded in Christ, having the full assurance of faith, knowing who God is in the truth, of God. And without this full assurance, without this full confidence, without this knowing, um, we are unable to bring this gospel to the community around us. He says uh, the mystery of God. And this mystery is above all other mysteries. The mystery of God's loving purpose revealed in Christ Jesus. And when I say the mystery of God or hidden in God, I'm not saying it's hidden so that no one may find it. It's hidden in the same way that you put away your valuables at night, the same way that you put your phone on your bedside table, the same way that you put your watch back in his case. It's not hidden so that you can't retrieve it. And it's in a specific place so that we know that the truth of Christ and the mystery of God is in Christ Jesus, hidden in Christ, so that we know the specific place. If you go home and you just toss your keys to the door, you may spend hours looking for them, but if you put them in a specific place, they're easy to recover and easy to retrieve. The same is true with Christ. God put the mystery of God and his loving purpose in Christ so that it may be found by all and for all. And we're reminded of this in John Chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That everything in the beginning Christ was, Throughout all creation, Christ is, and all things were made through him and by him. You see, anything that we find is true, anything that we find of value, 
any truth, anything that is of truth in this world is of God. After all, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the truth. The truth is hidden in him in a specific place for a specific purpose so that all may come to the knowledge of him. He is the truth. He is the embodiment of the truth, and he is the life that all are seeking. He has all truth, and all truth is God's truth. He has, he has it all, everything, and every, and every other thing that is not in Christ is either an opinion or not full truth. You see, I think of a story um, or, or conflict. There is his side, there is her side, and then there is the truth. There is what actually happened. Um, we are all, no matter what, tainted by sin and by, fle- by our own flesh. But if we root ourselves, the ultimate only truth, and we're, truth is Christ. You see, we look, to, and we're so quick to share what we find on social media. We're so quick to share what we find on Facebook. We're so quick to share what we find on the news, knowing that everything that we see on social media, everything that we see on uh, CNN, on Fox News, on all these media outlets, in some way or another, is tainted by the flesh, is, is, is misconstrued for some sort of agenda, some way in which they want us to view something. The only truth, the only way, the only thing that is truly true in this life is Christ. And yet we are so quick to share what we see on news, what we see on social media, but we are so scared or we are so shy to to share the only thing that is true, the only thing that is truly true, the only thing that is all truth, not tainted, not skewed by man, not skewed by flesh, the truth of Christ. Paul um, says this kind of the jab as the of the to the Gnostics of these days. You see, the Gnostics were those that believed that a mass of knowledge was necessary for salvation. They believed that the secret of salvation was hidden there, apocryphas, their books uh, that uh, could not be accessed by ordinary man. But as said earlier, Christ came, and Christ came for all to be revealed to all, to be saved by all that and not to be deceived by pervasive words, or not to be deceived by uh, pervasive arguments, or persuasive arguments, or big words, but Christ came for all, so that, and revealed to all, so that the smallest child in here, or the most learned scholar, Christ came for both of them, and is to be understood by both of them, and to be received by both, is not by an massive knowledge that we are saved, but simply by coming to the cross of Christ, and being founded in Him. In Colossians 2, verse 5, it says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit to see your good order and your steadfast and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, that you may be in good order. Going back to what I said earlier about uh, standing with one another, being in good order, not being out of, out of line, but 
being in the body of Christ, standing next to one another in unity and faith, standing with one another, encouraging one another, being beside one another, having relationships and friendships within the church of Christ so that we can bear one another's burden, stand with one another and stand firm in the faith of Christ. So Paul says to be firm, but that doesn't do much if he doesn't tell us how to be firm in the faith. And he gives these four metaphors that separate, they don't look like they go together, but together they they make sense. In verses 6 and 7, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, the steadfast, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. That as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted, built up, and established in the faith, abounding in thanksgiving. How have you received Christ? We don't stumble into a relationship. You don't stumble into a reception. You don't stumble when you receive someone. I think of... uh, a wide receiver getting a pass from a quarterback or a wide receiver. He doesn't just aimlessly run a pattern and expect the ball to fall into his hands. No, he, he runs a route with purpose for the goal of catching the ball and running a touchdown. We have received Christ with purpose, and we have received Christ for salvation. We received Christ as to save us from ourselves, but we have received him as Lord, we haven't just received him as, as Savior. We have received him as Savior and Lord. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, Lord, save me from my sins, save me from myself, and continue to live as you did beforehand. I think of the princesses in all the Disney movies or Rapunzel, and she's trapped in a tower, and she comes and she gets saved by the, the prince. We were all in need of saving, we're all in need of saving from ourselves, our own own flesh, our own desires, our own works, our own dreams, our own goals, our own passions, our own flesh. We were saved by God and to God and ultimately from ourselves and our own desires. That's why he can't just be Savior. He must also be Lord. He must also be the Christ. He must also be Lord and receive him as Lord. And the response, or to say no Lord is an oxymoron. To say no, Lord, doesn't work because you can't have him as Savior without him being Lord of your life. You can't be um, who he's called you to be. You can't, you're ultimately, you're not saved without submitting to his will, his way, and his authority because by salvation you are clearly admitting that your way was not working, that you're your life was not working out, that your goal, your, your, your flesh was not working out. And although the most painful thing that oftentimes many of us can do is say yes to the Lord because there are times and there are seasons in our lives where it feels like our flesh is pulling us 100 miles this way and God's saying go 
that way and every bone in your body saying, I want to stay here and I want to do this and I want to be this. And God's saying, no, I have more for you over there. But Lord, I'm really good at this right here, right now. Or your flesh is pulling you back into your old life and it's constantly pulling you and you've been saved for several years and decades and yet the same desires and same temptation that you had the day that you got saved are still there and the draw and the temptation is there but God's saying come over here and be with me dwell with me have a foundation with me you see there is no part of our lives that is outside of Christ we are too called to walk in Christ not walk around Christ not walk about Christ but to walk around in Christ and to explain that point a little more, not being a parent, but I read in my devotion earlier this week, and it says, um, it is true that the thing that you and I most need is to be rescued from, from is us. The greatest danger that we face is the danger that we are, we are to ourselves, who we think we are, is a delusion, and what we, we all tend to want is a disaster. We put together, they lead to only one place, death. If you're a parent, you see it in your children. It didn't take long for you to realize that you are parenting a little self-sovereign who thinks at a deeper level that he needs no authority in his life but himself. Even if he cannot yet walk or speak, he rejects your wisdom and he rebels against your authority. He has no idea what is good or bad to eat, but yet he fights your every effort to put into his mouth something that he has decided he does not, he does not want. As he grows, he has, has little ability to comprehend the danger of the electric wall outlet, and yet he tries to stick his fingers in it precisely because you have instructed him not to. He wants to exercise complete control over his sleep, his diet, and his activities. He deceives, he, he, he believes it is his right to rule his life, so he fights your attempts to bring him under submission, uh, in, under submission to your loving authority. Not only does your little one resist your attempts to bring him under authority, he tries to exercise authority over you. He is quick to tell you what to do and does not fail to let you know when you have done something that he does not like. He celebrates when you submit to his desires and he finds a way to punish you when you fail his demands. Now here's what you have to understand. When you're at the end of, the, of a very long parenting day, when your children have seemed to conspire together to be particularly rebellious, and you're sitting on your bed exhausted and frustrated, you need to remember that you are more like your children than unlike them. We all want to rule our worlds. Each of us has times when we see authority as something that ends freedom rather than gives it. Each one of us wants freedom to sign the bottom line wants God to sign the bottom line of our personal wish list. And if he does, we celebrate his goodness. But if he doesn't, we begin to wonder if it's even worth following him at all. Like our children, each of us is on a quest to be and to do what, what we are not designed by our creator to be or to do. So grace comes to decimate our delusions of self-sufficiency. Grace works to destroy our dangerous hope of autonomy. Grace helps to make us reach reach for what we really need to and submit to the wisdom of the giver. It's true, grace rescues us from us.
And I read that because I'm not a parent. If I was, I could give you a story. But I've seen my mom. uh, I'm a triplet for those that don't know. And I know that my mom can testify to many days and many mornings and many nights to where it seems like we just seem to tag one another in time after time. All right, you wake up, cry, throw up, and then I'll wake up, cry, and throw up, and she won't get any sleep tonight. Um, And that's oftentimes how parenting feels, and oftentimes things that's how God sees us. He he tells us not to stick our finger in the electric outlet or not to do this or not to go there or not to or to do this. And we think he's taking away our freedom, but he's trying to not he's trying to he wants what's best for us because after all, he created us for a purpose and a plan. That's ultimately where true freedom is found. Because although sin and our flesh that they advertise freedom, they advertise good feelings, they advertise what we, uh, they advertise what we want and our desire. Our flesh knows us very well. Our flesh knows our desires and our hearts and it, and it speaks sweet things to us. But ultimately it leads to death where Christ preaches a life of denial, denying our flesh and denying our desires and our goals and seeking after him. But ultimately it leads to true freedom. So as Savior and as Lord, he says he has, he must have our unreserved yes. I think of the song, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. And I remember singing that one Sunday, and our pastor came up and he said, you've heard us say it, you said us declare it, Lord, we said, yes, yes, Lord, amen, yet it be so. Now tell us what to do and tell us where to go. And that's how we are to treat the Lord, that's how we are called to respond to the Lord, that he has our unreserved Yes, there's not a part of our life that is outside of Him. We don't leave Him in the car when we go to work. We don't leave Him um, at the house when we go uh, hang out with our friends. He has all of our lives. And ultimately, if he, has, he either has all of it or He has none of it because He is not a partial God. He comes in and He takes away our flesh, our desires, our wants, and our needs, and He slowly replaces them with His desires, His needs, and His wants for our lives. And as we grow in the foundation of Christ, our heart, look more like his heart. After all, the scriptures say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. If you seek me first, if you put me first, my heart becomes your heart and I'll take care of you. We are reminded in the scriptures of the sparrows and the hairs on our head that they don't fall to the ground without the consent. And how much more value are we, than, how much more value are we to God than these that he sent his only son to die for us. So we, we are called to walk around in Christ, to be in Christ, that there's not a part of our life that is outside of Christ. But then he goes from walking to rooted. Now, if you've seen Narnia, or you've seen um, Lord of the Rings, you've seen trees that walk, but in day-to-day life, trees don't walk. So what is uh, Paul saying? And I'm, I'm kind of picturing Narnia at this point, rooted, walking um, trees. That as trees, there are things that are outside of our control. As, as trees, there are things that, there are storms, there are winds, and there are waves that come that are outside of our control, and that's why there's prayer. But there are also things in which we can control. A tree, a, a big, large tree with shallow roots is easy to be knocked over by the wind and the waves of life, but a, a small tree with deep roots is not uprooted, or a large tree with large roots if you were to go to the redwood forest and you were to see the roots of those trees, they're equally as large 
and equally as stunning as the trees that they hold. Otherwise, they would have no hope of growing to the heights that they do. That we must be planted in the word of Christ. And this is where we get our youth group name. We must be rooted in the foundation of Christ, rooted in relationship with one another, grounded in the relationship of Christ with one another, bearing one another's burdens, that we may walk with Christ, planted in his word. We must know his word. We must know his truth. And then he says to be built up in him. I think Paul says this so that whether your city or your rural or you live in North Dakota and you've only seen about three trees in your life, um, I miss the trees, not going to lie. But uh, we have buildings here and we have strong buildings here. Uh, but being built up um, in Christ, and I think of the foundation of Christ. You don't start, this church didn't begin with the roof, this church didn't begin with the siding, this church didn't be, begin with picking out chairs, it began with the foundation. And when you build a house, you don't pour the foundation and then build the house off to the side of it. You don't pour a foundation and then build a house like 30 yards away. Like that doesn't make any sense. If we are rooted in Christ, there's no part of, of Christ of our lives that is outside of him. If we are built on the foundation of his word, there's no part of our life that is outside the foundation of Christ. If you build a house apart from a foundation, the first windstorm that comes, no matter how well you build it, no matter how many nails you put into it, it will not last. It will be blown over. But if the foundation is strong, it will last for lifetimes and for generations, for generations and generations. A building is just is only as good as its foundation. If you go to New York City and you look up, you'll see skyscrapers that reach 100 floors, but they're not built on six inches, inches of concrete. They're built on stories and stories and stories of concrete because they are keenly aware that you can only build as high as you are willing to go deep. And we must go deep in Christ. We must be built upon Christ. And all of our lives and everything that we do must be built on the foundation of Christ. Anything that's outside of Christ is doomed to be blown away by the winds and the doctrines of this world. Third, he says, we must be established in the faith that we are taught. And for this illustration, I kind of think of a basketball game. And there's a kid on the side of the court reading about how to play basketball. And there's a kid on the court playing basketball. Now, which one are you going to play defense against? Is it the kid on the sideline reading about how to shoot the perfect layup and how to shoot a three? Or are you going to guard the kid that's dunking, that's breaking the kid's angles? Which, which kid are you going to guard, and the same is true with Christ. We must be established in the faith that we are taught. And um, I think back to the truth of I don't believe that you know something until you can teach it. So how many of us in here know the gospel? And then how many of us in here can teach the gospel. If someone were to ask you, if a child were to ask you, I think back to the song that we sang in Sunday school, he came from heaven to earth to show us the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, we lift your name on high. Now that's the, that's the memorization of lyrics, but what does that song mean? 
I mean, you came from heaven to earth. Christ, not a created being, but a being that was from the beginning, that, w- the, that was with God in the beginning before anything else was made, came from heaven to earth to show us the way he lived a sinless and perfect life, died a death that we deserved. He, he paid our debt in full. He paid for our sin. He took upon my sin, my flesh, my debt, died on the cross, and, is, and we are saved not because the Romans killed Jesus, but because the wrath of God that we deserve was poured out on his son in entirety that we might receive the righteousness of God. He, he took on sin that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. We don't earn salvation and then Christ comes. He came and Lord, we lift your name on high after he did all that, after you came from heaven to earth to show us the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. The only time we were mentioned is, Lord, we lift your name on high. It is a response to Christ. It is not your own devotion life. It is nothing that you do. Everything that we do in Christ is our response to him and what he has done for us. It, we do not earn salvation. We, we sit in salvation. We respond to Christ. He was not waiting for us to do something. He was not waiting for us to go to church. He was the one that called us into that Sunday morning, the, the morning that we were saved. He was the one that, that spoke that conversation into existence that we might receive salvation from that close friend. He is the one that did all things and everything that we do after the moment of salvation is simply out of response to the life of Christ, that he lived a sinless life and we, we, he is here for us. But we must be established in the faith that we are taught. We, we, we can't simply know that we must. We must share it. We can't keep it as inward knowledge. We can't be the kid on the basketball court reading about how to play basketball. We have to actually pick up the ball and be prepared to play. You can't read about lifting weights and expect your body to change. You can't read about eating healthy and expect to lose weight. But once you take the fork to the mouth and you pick up the dumbbell, that is when Christ truly begins to transform your life. Yes, reading the Bible is important. Yes, understanding the Word of God. And yes, being rooted in the foundation of Christ. But if, if all it is is simply a foundation for your life so that you can go to heaven, you're not a threat in the game of life. You're not a threat on the basketball court. If all you ever do is read your Bible and your devotion life, and yes, that is important, yes, that's the foundation, that's what I've been talking about for the last two points, that we must be rooted and established in Christ, that we must know this gospel, we must be established in it and be prepared to teach and to share the gospel with, with those around us so that we are abounding in thanksgiving, being grateful for what he has come. Lord, we lift your name on high. We don't need to walk around as defeated, lowly Christians. We have victory over death, hell, and the grave by Christ and through Christ. And we have reason for thanksgiving. We have reason for joy. We have reason for peace because Christ came to give us all those things. And being a, a tree and a building for those around us. A building is no good if if everyone else is out in the wind, but once the doors are open, we are, we are to be like strong buildings for those around us. I think of that we must be nourished in the Word. If this is the only time that you hear the Word of God, this is the only time that you, you come into His presence, and although there are many Sunday mornings where it feels like Pastor Justin is pointing a fire hose at this congregation and drinking from a fire hose, but even if we drink from a fire hose on Sunday morning, I promise you by Monday morning you will be thirsty again. So we must commune with him daily, walk with him 
daily. It must be a daily thing. If I gave you a protein bar this morning and said this is all you're going to you get to eat for the week, 99% of us will be hangry by the end of the week or by the end, end of the Sunday morning. If all you eat is peanut cra butter crackers on Sunday morning, you'll be hungry by the afternoon, and we need to treat our spirit as we treat our body. So, um, we are, as pastors, we are supplementary. We're not called to be the source as parents and as y'all are called to disciple and to raise up your kids, and we were called to come alongside you. I called you all the first Sunday, the head coaches of your football team, and we're the offensive coordinator. We don't do anything outside of your control and your command, but ultimately you are the ones that are responsible for your family and for the discipling of your children, and that we would be supplementary. We will come alongside you and help and nourish you, and Kira and I are here for that reason, for that purpose, but I encourage you, allow your kids to see you pray Allow your kids to see you worship. Allow your kids to see you read the Word of God, to pour into your presence. Play worship music throughout the house. Do these things and disciple them. As I've seen a generation, and I say a generation, I'm speaking of my generation. I saw, I've seen my generation that where parents handed their kids over to youth pastors and expecting them to disciple and pour into their kids. And yes, they did, and they did mighty works. But I've seen them get pulled away because the foundation was shallow at all. But if, if we are consistent and we do not stand a chance against the onslaught of this world, if all they get is an hour and a half on Sunday morning, hour and a half on Wednesday night, they'll clear that time on TikTok before sun, Sunday night worship. Just being honest, I'll probably clear that time on TikTok by, by Sunday night worship. But So what is your source and what is your foundation? Do you, do you find yourself you, and how do you spend your time? Are you spending time in the Word of God? And are you discipling and raising up your kids? Because if all, if we're looking at the time scale, and all they, if all they ever hear about the Gospels from Pastor Justin and I, we stand no chance to reaching this generation for the glory of God. But if every parent commits to share the Gospel, to ask what are you reading, or what did God speak to you today, or just simply being a listening ear when they have questions about God, and being willing to and be honest when you don't know the answer, but being committed to finding the answer and, and opening those doorways with your kids and your family, we will see this generation saved. We'll see this generation come back to the glory of God. We'll see this generation not led, by the, led away by their feelings and their desires, but families that are rooted and established in the, in the mercy and the grace of God and the Word of God is a family that will reach generations and reach families and reach friends for Christ. We must be knitted together as families, but also as a church, committed one another to bearing one another's burdens, supporting families, because there are days and there are weeks when families just aren't going right and they just need help. So, I close so so ask the, I close with the question, what are you established in? For many, it is our phones and the onslaught of media that we consume, spending hours on screens full of sexual images, anxieties of the world around us, and the uncertainty of life as we know it. And it has made us products of the world rather than products of the word. It has made us products 
of anxiety, fear, and worry rather than products of the fruit of the Spirit. We, do, we, are not, we must be a church rooted in Christ so we may be a, a church full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, bear, bear, Beware lest anyone cheat you through the philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to basic principalities, and not according to Christ. You see, the Colossian church had a wisdom problem. They thought that some book would unlock the truth of the salvation of God. The Gnostics thought that God, uh, that God being perfect could not have created the world, but we see in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, they thought that you could not deal with God directly, but we see uh, that Christ has called his friends, that we know what the master is doing, that we no longer need an intercessor, but we can come directly to the throne room of grace. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Um, but we have seen the total flip where we, have, we live in a world that is scripturally illiterate, a world that no longer sees scripture as ultimate infallible word of God. We live in a world that is taught that there is no ultimate truth and that no one can tell you what is right or wrong, that if you believe it hard enough and you feel it hard enough, that it is truth. For Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, and all truth is found in him. So don't be led away by your feelings, your desire, and your heart. Cling close to the Savior that is in Christ and be made complete in Him. I close by reading this. For in Him dwells the fullness of God, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. You are complete. You are made whole by Christ, through Christ, and in Christ. To walk around in Christ, rooted and established in the faith of God. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for your grace and your kindness. We thank you for the gift of salvation that is hidden and established in Christ, rooted and founded in Christ. That, Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves in you, that we would walk around you deeply rooted and deeply established in Christ, deeply uh, formed in Christ, that we would understand the gospel, Lord, for our own hearts, but also so that we may be able to teach others around us who Christ is, what he came to do, Lord, that we may be sharers of the gospel, not just knowing with head knowledge, Lord Jesus, but being active players in this game called life, Lord, reaching as many souls as we can for Christ, being rooted and established, and but also being knit together in love and care for one another as the body of Christ, as prayer of you, church of God, that we may love and care for one another, that we may be fruitful, bearing the fruit, of the Spirit, not the fruit of this world, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would be a church full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. In your name we pray. Amen.